Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
All right, what's up? Welcome to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. <laughs> Jacob throwing up some gang signs in the FaceTime window. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman. We are over here on FaceTime just doing our thing because we are we're getting kind of worn out after this week. I am. I've been traveling yeah. like crazy. I'm getting sick. I I can tell. You look you look absolutely horrible. You look like you're walking dead right now. <laughs> Be hundred percent honest. Yeah. <laughs> quit, <laughs> quit making me laugh, man. You're gonna make me cough. <laughs> man, you need some cough drops for that. What are you doing, bud? Man, I don't know. Make some of that uh, old school whiskey and honey and cough syrup. Hot a hot toddy. Oh, there you go. I'll t- I'll tell you what. I've tried I've tried that before with like the cough syrup and the uh, uh, you put like. What crap? What was it? Like a peppermint in it or something like that? And they've never helped. But I'll tell you what has helped. I've made and this is like some hippie stuff. Oh god! But I've I've made some tea out of pine straw and cedar. No, not but not pine straw. Pine needles, like green pine needles, right? Yeah, but green green pine <laughs> needles. Okay, it worked. It's it's repulsive. It tastes horrible, but it works, man. It, it's it's like I don't know what's in it, but you can't drink too much of it because you get sick. But it's like, it, it, I don't know, it makes you feel, I don't know. Makes you, I don't know, man. Makes you feel loopy. It, ma- it, makes you, it makes you feel, yeah, it does make you feel a little loopy. It's like a little buzz. Andrew, don't be <laughs> but, telling our listeners this. Jesus Christ. No, but it makes you feel better. It, like, boosts your immune system. I want, I want, to, see this, I'm not, I want to see the science behind this, Andrew. Dude, I, I don't know if there is any. <laughs> Andrew's just going out in the woods, guys, finding something green and throwing it and brewing it up and seeing how it goes. That's what got him here, yeah. got him this far in life. <laughs> yeah, totally. You know it, dude. Andrew's like, screw modern medicine. Uh, yeah. Man, yeah, I'll go get some bark off an elm tree and eat it. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'd feel great after that. So, but fan freaking tastic. Well, I know you've been hunting a little bit. I've been freaking traveling a little bit. So I'll let you talk about the hunt because that seems a little bit more, I don't know, interesting than me and my travels. Yeah, so we went out to Who's we? WMA. Hold on, you got, uh, dude, you got to lay out the groundwork. Come on. I now. got okay, okay, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, it was me and Zach Eccles, who you've heard on this podcast. Which, which episode? Um, I think it was in the twenties. No, it was it was in the forties or thirties, maybe. It was in the summer, down on the river. Down on the river. That was one of our more well received episodes because people could like hear the river a little bit and hear the fire cracking. People thought that was neat. But, yeah, Zach was on that episode. And then uh, we were also with Jeff Homan because Jeff, being uh, a killer, has already tagged out. So he, had, uh, he hadn't had much to do for about two or three weeks. So there's a bonus buck day. So Alabama has these weeks where you can go and kill an extra buck on some WMAs, and it doesn't count towards your limit. So Jeff came up there to hunt with us so he could maybe kill another buck. And – uh so we went out there, kind of came up with a game plan. It was going to be like 20 degrees that morning. <clears throat> so the plan was to, me and Zach were going to set up, oh, oh, I cannot, I can't not mention this. JT, JT was supposed to be there. All right. JT didn't show up. So we got to, we got to give JT some crap for that. Mm. 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 It got to, I was like, meet a, we all decided we're like, we're going to meet at the check station at four o'clock. We're going to have some coffee and some biscuits and hang out. Because 4 o'clock is early because now it's getting light pretty later. And, uh, yeah, we were sitting there enjoying our coffee and everything. It was like 4.18. I was like, all right, we're leaving him. 
And so, <laughs> and then he calls me at like 4:45. He's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, man. I'm not gonna make it." I'm like, "Come on, JT. What a <laughs> what are you do? What a noob. Oh man." I can't give him too much grief. JT's in the police academy right now, so more power to him. Oh, yeah. I understand. I understand. I'm like, if you want to sleep in, you go right ahead, my friend. Yeah, no, he's, just <laughs> getting, he's just getting run into the ground. It's all good. Get, it's all good. Getting ready for the training. Um, okay, so y'all went hunting with Jeff the killer, Zach the 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 what was formerly the, the cradle robber. The cradle robber. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to go for. Yeah, the cradle robber. Um, he's redeemed himself since. Then. Well, actually, no. You know, he shot that one on that gun day. It was pretty small. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we called him Cradle Robber back in high school because oh. he killed he killed one that was tiny back then too. I yeah, I guess he earned it back. Well, give it. I get, and, and he killed that one after you killed yours. So yeah, he took the he took Cradle Robber status from you. Thank God, I needed that taken away from me. We'll, we'll get a couple T-shirts made for that. Actually, that probably when he, that, that, that probably it probably wouldn't go over well. No, not at all, not at all, not at all. That might that might be taken out of context. Yeah, yeah. not good, not good at all. Okay, <laughs> off to a new subject. All right, back to the hunt. So you love JT, poor thing. He's sleeping in bed, nice in a warm bed. Y'all are freezing your butts off. What was the game plan? How are y'all going about executing the hunt? Since neither of y'all or none of y'all have really been on that property in quite a while. Uh. So me and Zach have a mutual friend who hunts the same area <clears throat> that uh, I don't know how long Zach's known him, but I've known him for this is, I guess, two years now. Just kind of kept in contact with him on social media because we hunt some of the same areas. And uh, he he was going to come out that afternoon and he sent Zach some pictures like of some bucks that he's got in there. And he had you know a couple really nice bucks, one really, really nice buck, like big old eight pointer. Uh, and there's a lot of cutover back in there, so we're thinking with it being that cold, sun's going to get up, warm up a cutover. Hopefully a deer will be filtering into that cutover. And uh, and Jeff Jeff went and hunted a, kind of a different area, like a transition between some like thicker pines and hardwoods. And basically we just kind of spread out and tried to cover up the area, different travel corridors that are there. And we all got skunked. Didn't see nothing. Mm. I mean, nothing. I found... Uh, I watched a saddle in the cutover, which, I mean, it looked great. I knew that there'd be deer in there, but they did not come through when I was there, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm. Uh, Zach didn't see anything, and Zach, climbing up the daggum tree, dropped his phone, okay, before daylight, all the way down to the bottom of the tree, and he's like, I ain't climbing back down there to get it. So he just left it down there, and the plan was to meet up at the trucks at 10 o'clock, and then we were going to go out... There's like a peninsula on the river that's like wooded, and we were gonna go man drive that peninsula at after ten o'clock, and uh, so me and Jeff get back to the trucks about ten. We're kind of hanging out, just talking, and like an hour and a half goes by, and Zach still hadn't showed up, and we can't get a hold of him because you know we're texting him and his phone's on the ground. So after a while, we're like, nah, man, we need to go look for Zach. We go back there and like start looking for him and finally we end up finding him and he's like we see him coming through the cutover with a stand on his back just crap hanging off of it everywhere and there's like a buckle knocking on a stand as every step he took and it sounded just like antlers clanking together i was like i was like jeff do you hear that i was like that sounds like sounds like a couple bucks i was like i was getting excited oh my god (laughs) oh dude it's because i was telling jeff last year in the same area 
about this time, or no, was, I guess two years ago now, you remember this. Uh, I came up to that field, and there was like six bucks standing in it. Yeah, last And two of them were yeah, last day two of years this, ago. Yeah, last day of the season. Yeah, exactly. And there was, a, there was the first year that they extended the February season to the North Zone, so I guess it was two years ago. Uh, but it sounded just like that, so I was like getting all excited. And then Jeff was like, no, nah, man, that ain't no dang deer. <laughs> and I made myself look like a idiot of, of course jeff's <laughs> like i cannot believe i'll talk to this guy for this long and he, he <laughs> he's he's out here thinking he's hearing like some black rack uh freaking what's those black rack rattling oh yeah man this is oh, a freaking yeah. buckle going at it i cannot believe that andrew mm. dude i'm telling you it sounded just like antlers it sounded just like but yeah then zach comes bebopping up through the cutover and he's like oh i'll drop my phone he's like i didn't know if it was 9 30 or one o'clock and finally we got him out. So we didn't get to do the man drive. Um, and so then we sat at the trucks, BSed around for a little while, and I had to go. I had other stuff I had to do later mm. on Saturday. Mm. Yeah. Like, mm, what are you doing, man? Big mistake. Well, yeah, ex- explain this uh, this logic because, you know, you, you had to leave to go do something else that was more important than killing a big buck. So lay it to us. Lay it on us. <sighs> yeah. So <laughs> – Oh, God. I'm getting tired of telling stories like this. Mm. So our our buddy went in there later that day, um, and Jeff went and hunted a different area. I don't think Zach hunted that afternoon, and I couldn't hunt that afternoon. Well, our buddy went in there, and he got up in that cutover. He wasn't in the spot I hunted, but he was close to it, and he could see down into it. And sure enough, that afternoon, that, that big eight-pointer uh, came right through that saddle that I was watching. It would have been like a 50-yard shot at the closest, probably at the farthest, 80 yards, maybe. Would have been an easy shot, and it, great cover. Yeah, this is I, was set, I was set up perfectly. Yeah, this was the rifle. Yeah. I was set up perfectly. I was set up for exactly what the buck did. He just did it at the wrong time of day. So that, dude, Zach told me that the next morning, and I was like, I was sick. I was like, man. Is this is this old Muzzy? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. Man, I cannot yeah. believe that. He's killed a lot of good deer over there too. Yeah, he has. He's a killer. Has he has he gotten one this year? Uh, I've, I've, I don't know. I never I didn't see him post anything. I don't know. I haven't I haven't talked to him, but I don't Yeah, he's he's killed some really good bucks and he hunts a lot of the same areas that we do, mm-hmm. which is kind of how we got hooked up, but I don't know if he's had luck this year, but there was a, a couple nice bucks killed out there and on a couple different areas dude, this weekend. Yeah, dude, there were some. Oh my god, there were some phenomenal bucks getting killed out there. Um, uh, there was the one that Curtis made the um, the background photo for the Alabama uh, Public Wildlife Management uh, page. Public Land Hunters Club. Yeah, I botched every yeah. time I say it. That deer is fantastic. Uh, Chaz, man, Chaz was posting. There was like three or four really good deer that got killed that Chaz posted up the local biologist. So, dude, yeah, got me excited. But you know, I'm over here. You know, in old. Well, actually, I was in Houston at the time, but you know, whatever. Not deer hunting. Not deer hunting. Not even close. Not even close. Yeah. So I'm gonna hit it hard this week. We're winding down now, so it's uh, it's the twenty seventh. What is it? Twenty seventh yep. today? Yep. Yeah, man. Oh God. Ugh. We're we're almost to the end. We're almost there, man. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit it hard. I'm gonna try and try and get on something because from the other area I hunt down here, I just heard that uh, a guy today, uh, my buddy Matt Reeves, 
helped a guy drag out a buck today that he killed how, out there. How was that buck? How good was it? I saw the guy post I mean, it. Was, it, was a, it was a good little rack buck. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a monster or anything, but it was a good rack buck. And uh, they ha- he said he said it was on a doe, so they're chasing down there now for sure. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to get out there this week. I'm going to hit it hard. Every afternoon I can go. Yeah. Maybe something will happen. We'll see. But with it being the end of the year, we're we're going to do our like year-ender podcast with Parker and everybody. we got a big thing planned with them. For I guess that'll be next week. But for this week, we're going to talk about gear because we've had experience with like all the new gear and everything we tried. And so, yeah, we're just going to talk about what we liked and what we didn't like. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, what was disappointing. So uh, let's let's start out with... What was for you? What was uh? What was the piece of gear that you were the most pleasantly surprised with? Like what? What had uh, like a good impact that you didn't think you would necessarily like that much, but you ended up loving? Okay, you cannot take whatever I say. How about that? So I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just, I'm just gonna say oh, the, the saddle. I'm, I'm gonna say tethered mantis, um, just because it kind of changed the way I wanted to hunt and changed the way I did hunt and I, for you know for the better. Uh, you know, this staying extremely mobile, extremely lightweight, and not having to deal with a freaking stand, dude. I've been hunting with a lone wolf alpha and sticks for – this was my fifth season, and I started out with, with it. Um, I only sat it during the uh, the velvet hunt, and then uh, that one hunt in Tennessee when you came up in October and shot that doe. But uh, it, it just changed the way I looked at hunting. It, it, it made me not – stress going in deeper farther through thicker nastier cover because i had a smaller first of all a smaller load i was carrying i didn't have a big stand on my back i could keep everything in my backpack and then also another thing i was pleasantly surprised with was the uh, sound approach steps you know having a super lightweight compact climbing system was fantastic uh really 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 yeah. enjoyed that <clears throat> yeah those those were awesome for me too I know you said don't steal it, but I mean, those things really take the cake this year. I mean, that was definitely the biggest change for us. Yeah. It was just the the saddles and like you said, the versatility of it. Mm -hmm. For me, the biggest thing was getting through brush because, I mean, carrying a stand, you know, I'd gotten used to it. I didn't necessarily hate carrying the weight and everything. What really got me about the stand and what pushed me over the edge into getting a saddle was one the noisiness of the setup mm-hmm. and two getting through brush with the stand on my back mm-hmm. especially this year with how we changed our hunting styles so much and we got way more aggressive going into thicker cover it's just freaking hard getting through like a thicket with a stand on your back with sticks on it they get hung on everything mm-hmm. especially with like so many vines down here you got honeysuckle and all kinds of other stuff it's just constantly grabbing onto you making all kinds of noise so the saddle really ended up being kind of a no-brainer. I mean, yeah, and one thing that kind of cracked me up today, I had some free time, and I was watching some of our older YouTube videos, and I was watching the one when we were hunting in North Alabama um, for that limited day hunt, whatever. And um, you were the only one with a tree stand, and I was, you know, I was cameraman for the majority of that hunt, and was watching the difference of JT walking through the woods with his tethered mantis on and his uh, wild edge steps and backpack compared to you with your stand and it was amazing how well he was able to get through and around and over logs and stuff like that compared to you having that tree stand on your back 
And a lot of guys just don't realize it. I mean, I didn't really realize it either. You know, you got to stay on your back. You're like, you know, you kind of get used to your limitations, you know, how you got to duck under things, crawl under stuff. Or when you go over the top of something, make sure, you know, if you got to like, you know, hop over a log that you got to like straddle and get over the side of, you know, kind of make sure that the stand isn't bang or whatever. Well, when you have a saddle and you're either wearing it or throw it in your backpack, you don't have to worry about any of that crap. I mean, it's literally, especially if you use a real, if I wasn't using a camera, if I was not filming my hunts, I could use such a small backpack. It would be absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and it's like just to have something that small to be able to go and hunt with. I mean, it's fantastic. And again, that only works, you know, this kind of style, I guess only works when you're using a really compact climbing system. Um, like the silent approach steps is probably the smallest, most compact climbing system. Next would probably be the wild edge steps. As long as you weren't using a ton of them. I think JT has like eight or 10 that he carries. And they're definitely a pretty good size bag with them. No, doesn't he carry like five now with an eight or? Yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> he, he says that, but every time I've hunted with him or seen him hunt, I don't ever see him use the eighter. So, I mean, he I know he said that now that he's been using like five steps with like a single or double movable eighter, and he can get up. Mm-hmm. To, I forget how high he can get up with it, but you know, it's it's you know pretty solid. I want to say the last time I hunted with him, he had five. I'm pretty sure he mm-hmm. did. So yeah, he's he's using the eighter. Uh, which I think I think I was told like so each of those steps is like I think like eleven ounces, I believe with the rope, I believe maybe don't quote me on that. Um, so you know you're looking at you know pretty solid system to be able to kind of get up pretty high, especially if you're comfortable using the aider. But uh, yeah, dude. But anyways, th- those two pieces of gear were pretty crazy. I mean, do you have something else that you really enjoy that were maybe was you know pleasantly surprised you know with whatever it is i've got something else i'd mention but i'll I'd, I'd wait until you know whatever you have yeah my other thing would be uh my boots so after hunting with you early season i was wearing like i, I was wearing before i was wearing some irish setters i think they're the havocs uh just because i like the design of that boot i like like a nine inch leather boot uh and i you know i, I liked them for a long time until you know they start getting wore down and they're just not, they're not like the same kind of quality as those Loas are. Mm-hmm. And when you got your second pair of Loas when we were hunting, you let me wear your other pair. Um, <clears throat> which were the Tibets. Were so, yeah. Tibets. Yeah, so I bought a pair of El Caminos. And El Caminos. Or are they, are they, <laughs> one of the El Caminos. It's just the Camino or whatever the hell it is. El Camino is the best of both worlds, man. Uh, Get you a sports car and, and a pickup truck. I'm telling you, man. That's a, <laughs> hey, that's a, I think that's exactly why they named that boot the Camino. Uh, because oh, cause yeah, it's the man. best of both worlds. Because it, it makes like a really good day hiking pet. <laughs> Bro, I'm, I'm trying to work this right now. That just, cracks me, that just cracks me up, dude. Go cruising the town Friday night and then go kill you a buck Saturday morning. Okay, maybe like not that dual use, but okay. But yeah, so the Tibetans and the Caminos. There you go. Anyway. Okay, yeah. The Tibets, wearing those, I felt like Iron Man. I mean, they're like the stiffest boots ever. But I'd never worn like a real stiff hiking boot like that. And getting around in Tennessee, like we were hunting some kind of hilly terrain the first time I wore them. I mean, you saw me. My mind was blown with those things. They just grip so well. Uh, Anybody who spent time in the woods with me knows that like it's my trademark to bust my butt every time I go into the woods. I'm constantly falling. 
Because I was wearing crappy boots that weren't stiff enough and didn't have any traction on them. Now, when you mean stiff, it's not just, I mean, the sides are well, it's well broken in boot, but it's the stiff sole. That's what Andrew's talking about. It's a very stiff sole boot. It does not have really any flex at all. It, it flexes very, very minimal in, in the boot. So it gives you a lot of traction, but it's a different feel when you're walking them. Especially if you're mm-hmm. if you're used to walking in a, a light hiking boot, talking like a like a lace up boot or even a rubber boot, you know they got a pretty you know flexible sole on them. So when you go to a yeah. stiff boot, it you definitely it, it to me it takes you I'd say at least five miles to kind of get used to the way they feel in my opinion because it's a different feel for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I mean growing up down here, I mean what do we always wear like snake boots? You know you wear your knee high rubber boots or. Like those, like lace up boots, like you were talking about, and <clears throat> I know several other guys who I hunt with who wear those Irish setters, and they're a good boot, but they're just not that stiff. And you hear Western guys talk about like getting a good boot all the time, but I didn't really know what a good boot was, like by their standards. And I mean, with the amount of hiking that we do, it it really that stiff soled boot really fits our style, I guess. Mm-hmm. It made a difference for me. It lessens your foot fatigue. For using a ring of steps with saddle hunting, it also makes a huge difference because, again, those Irish setters were such a softer sole. You know, your foot could really move around and you could feel things under your foot. Mm-hmm. And being on a ring of steps, it puts a lot of pressure on your foot and you get really bad foot fatigue with it. And I don't get that at all with those loas because mm-hmm. they're just so stiff. And then, you know, like I said earlier, hiking up stuff, they got great traction on them. They just, they just made traversing the landscape a lot easier and they're extremely waterproof for a lace-up boot i was very surprised with that Mm -hmm. because again those those irish setters one one of the reasons i got them was because they were supposed to be like waterproof water resistant and i mean they busted a leak like the second time i was out they're just not quality water resistant shoes so i kind of when i got those loas i was pretty skeptical but then I've taken them through all kinds of stuff, and they, they haven't sprung a leak yet. I've walked through briar patches. I've walked through swamps. I've been through all kinds of stuff, and my foot has not gotten wet yet. You know, as long as you don't go over the boot, you're fine. So that that was also another big – I mean, not selling point because I'd already bought them, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, that was that was a definitely like a huge, huge plus with those boots, see, I, just having dry feet. Yeah, see, since I've used both boots, to me, the Caminos are a lot more comfortable for me than the because the Caminos have a slightly softer sole than the Tibets. Tibets are literally, if you go online to look at them, they are a pack boot. It is a Western boot for packing heavy, you know, heavy gear, you know, meeting everything out of the woods. That's what they're designed for. It literally says when you buy them on their website, these are meant to be used with 80 plus pounds in a pack. Uh, it's just the way they were designed. They're fine without it. It's not a big deal, but they're a really stiff boot. Um, the Caminos are a little bit softer sole. To me, they're a lot more comfortable as a running gun style boot. But when it comes to waterproofness, I personally believe that the Tibets are superior to the Caminos just because they have a they have a higher um, um, what do you call that? They they go higher up on your leg. The Tibets are like a nine inch boot. Yeah. Where where the uh, the Caminos come up just over your ankle, mm-hmm. which I was a little nervous about because I've always had higher boots. You know, like that. Uh, nine inch I guess you would say mm-hmm. where it, you know it comes you know pretty far above your ankle and the other ones just look like a hiking boot like you'd see at Academy the Caminos yep. do 
Like they just barely come up above your ankle. It looks like a basketball shoe, in my opinion. That's exactly what it looks <laughs> like. That kind of style, or like it's kind of low in the back of your ankle, but it kind of comes up over the top of your ankles on the sides. And but, anyways, where I'm trying to get at this is that the tongue on the Tibet, the way it's attached, because it's Gore-Tex line along with a full leather uh, upper. The that where the tongue meets the side of the boot is very very high up. I mean, it's almost at the very top of the boot, so you can literally go in like seven inches of water with it without any issues okay the caminos if you look at the inside of the boot unless you get a very very tight seal on the top of the boot where you can wrap that have that tongue tucked nice and tight and have the side of the boots wrap around it really snug it will leak because there's probably about an inch and a half to two inches gap from the top of the boot down the inside of each uh each tongue it's not that big of an issue uh the only time i really got wet with them this year was when we were hunting in the swamps in north alabama uh i stepped through a frick, except to a freaking beaver, beaver, beaver dam log jam. All right. Oh god. Which, yeah. Me. If you don't know about, if you don't, if you didn't catch that reference, you need to go back and listen to our episode from that week. Yeah, that was like back in like October. Beaver jam, beaver dam, lo, beaver dam log jam. That is a tongue twister for you. But yeah. Yeah that that was a weird episode. Everyone needs to go listen to that. It's it was strange. Yeah. But. Yeah, I remember that was hilarious because me and JT were both wearing knee-high rubber boots, and we just walked right over that thing. You were like, "Wait up, guys!" <laughs> yeah, and get like all this freaking camera gear and everything. I'm like, oh, "I'm about to die." Poor Jacob, Walk- man. He got he got soaked. You were you were real upset. Yeah, you got pretty you got pretty butt hurt. Had to dry my pants out when I got back. Oh man, and with the with the defrost mode on my windshield of my company car, so. Anyway, that's right, man. Incognito in the company car. Yep. Um, what was your other thing you had? So, other thing I was gonna say that was very surprised with was the uh, Badlands Rise pant. Uh, this how well that's a good one. How well they could take briars. Um, th- yeah. When we first bought them, I, I really thought that they were gonna be too warm for what I wanted. I'm very used to wearing. I wear two styles of pants. Okay. I always, at least in the past, would wear a very, very thin, very breathable pant as like a base layer, like early season, but very base layer. Like when I'm hiking through the woods, that's what I'm wearing because I, I, I get hot very easily. Um, and then I would have a, a very um, heavy pant that I would wear, you know, on top of it just for layering re- reasons. Well, this pant was a very kind of a mid-weight pant, like a light to mid-weight pant, and I wasn't used to wearing that. So I was, I was like a base layer so when i first got it it was like what was it like in september something like that and i was kind of or october and i was kind of worried because i was like man these are like too warm but you know kind of you know went through and quickly realized how well they wicken moisture uh was you know very surprised the first couple of times i hunted with them in you know relatively warm weather you know 70 you know 65 to 70 degrees um, mm-hmm. just how well they would wick moisture. They're extremely tough fabric. I mean, up to this point, dude, there is absolutely zero picks on that fabric. And we have literally busted through brush this whole fall. And especially when we went hunting with Kevin, uh, Murphy up in Tennessee oh, yeah. or up in Kentucky, I was literally busting through briars and freaking blackberry bushes, all that kind of crap. They were literally over my head. Just, just, and just put my arms out in front of me and put my legs out and literally would never get a single briar puncture the pant. Where you, Doing the briar shuffle. Yeah, where you had like some Carhartt pants on and absolutely got destroyed. I got annihilated by those briars, dude. They chewed me up and spit me out. It was terrible. Yeah, and see, my mind 
legs were perfectly fine. Never had an issue with them. The only gripe I'd say about them is uh, probably after a month of having them, I had the it, this, these pants. I like these pants a lot because the, the pocket design. They've got kind of like the cargo style pocket where it's like a top uh, top open pocket on, on your thighs. Then they have side zippers that would be like a pocket on top of the pocket. And my right zipper blew out after about a month of having them, which kind of upset me. But then I was like, you know what? This is a, you know, another good reason to kind of test them out and see what happens. And they also have a lifetime warranty. So at the end of deer season coming up, before turkey season comes in, suppose they have a pretty good turnaround time of about, I think they said it's like seven to ten days. Um, but anyways, I'm literally just going to send it in and get them repaired, repaired or replace it and send it back to me. So that's fantastic. Yeah. That's one thing I really appreciate with them. Yeah, I was I was uh, pleasantly surprised with him because uh, we were talking to Tim Inslee about this because he's the one that like got us to buy the Badlands stuff. He uh, he works with Badlands a lot, and he said that you know we should try it because I'd been I'd been running Sitka gear, and I really like some Sitka pieces. I have the uh, what are they? The Ascent pants, and uh, what are the other pants I got? Mountain or Timber. It's like yeah, I think they're the mountain pants that uh, Michael Pike gave me. Thanks, Michael. Um, I like those pants a lot, but my only gripe with those ascent pants is the fact that they they just do not hold up to briars a little. I mean, not even a little bit. Like they get they get pulled really bad. They look like garbage. You know, I've uh, I've put them through the ringer for sure. Um, and it's it's hard to spend that much money on Sika gear when I hunt. In so many briars, you know, whether I'm deer hunting or squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting or something, like I'm gonna run into briars no matter what I'm doing. Even turkey hunting, I run into briars, and uh, it's hard to drop two hundred dollars on those pants. So, well, uh, Tim, huh? I was gonna say, well, it's it's nothing to say anything bad about Sitka. I mean, they're still it's a phenomenal company with a great product. The thing is, it just does not work for where we live and how we hunt. It is, it doesn't hold up. It's not meant for guys doing what we do. It, it just they aren't um you know a lot of their line is very well versed for western hunting where you're not cutting through briars you know going through um uh, sage you know sage grass and all that kind of stuff is totally different from going through you know briar patches and pine thickets and stuff yeah. like that um well, our buddy chad granger who did he's the one that did the uh, chuck sykes interview with me uh he was he was elk hunting in colorado this year and he was going through blowdown and he he was wearing sitka and there's a lot of jagged edges and stuff in that blowdown, and he thought that the Sitka gear was going to just get ripped apart, but it held up really well. Some like really, you know, nasty stuff that should have ripped up your clothes, which which was great. But then you get back here to the briars, and the briars just picked them apart because they're like you know those little needle tips, and they get in there and just start pulling threads out. Yeah, yeah. So and that's the big problem with them. Also. The price difference is huge. Uh, you know, Badlands is still, you know, a high-quality piece of, you know, clothing, but literally at least half the price of, of Sitka. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. How much were those pants? Like $110. Yeah. that I, I'd say that's a, that's a good price because I got the same pants as you, and comparing them to the Sitka pants, uh, which I guess they'd be more comparable to the mountain pant, because they're a little bit thicker and everything uh, for a little bit colder weather, mild to cold. And um, as far as durability, the Badlands blow Sitka out of the water. I mean, 
Like, I, I don't have a single thread pulled out of those things yet. And mm-hmm. like you said, we've ran them through the ringer. As far as uh, moisture wicking, they – I mean, it's probably about the same as the Sitka. I haven't noticed a difference. I mean, they, they wick moisture very, very well. And, you know, the two pieces are a little bit different, um, but they're definitely a lot warmer than the mountain pants too. So when it's cold outside, I'm wearing like an Under Armour base layer, and I'm wearing those – uh, those rise pants and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. I was wearing them the other day when it was 20 degrees and my legs were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, really, I, I like the pockets on them, like you said. Um, there's just some components of them. Like, you know, Sitka does a lot of like really, really nice zipper materials where they got like some like almost like rubber liners on their zippers mm-hmm. that make their zippers really tight and quiet. Badlands, it's, it's just a zipper. But, you know, a that doesn't matter to me. In the in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's just a zipper. It's not going to make or break my hunt. Yeah. So. Well, another thing I like about them also is their um, their water water resistant coating or fabric that they use uh, with literally all their gear. They have like different levels of it, but I forgot what level those pants are. But I mean, dude, you throw water on them, it runs right off. Uh, now, mm-hmm. now if you sit in a downpour, sooner or later it'll start soaking through. But like for you know a light rain or you know moderate rain or something like that. It, they're they're fantastic or like yeah. or like do that was one thing i noticed with them because w- when you're wearing lace-up boots man if you have any kind of pants that will absorb moisture you're going to have wet feet because the moisture is going to go through your pants hit your socks and go down your sock and with those pants literally you dude you, you don't get wet like you just don't get wet going through you know any kind of you know light yeah you know light dew or heavy dew anything like that so it's fantastic um, so my my one gripe with those pants is how they're they sit really low on your waist You've you've talked about that too. No, well, it's not to me. It's they don't fit low in the waist. The because you and me are kind of built. Even though I'm like heavier set than you, you and me are kind of built the same. We're like our thighs are still bigger than our waist. Okay. Yeah. Or like our, or, or really, it's your hips, not your waist. Your hips. So those pants definitely don't have a fit like that. They are very kind of straight legged. So like I bought a XL, and they're still too big in the waist by probably. I'd say an inch and a half or probably about an inch and a half or so. So I mean, I have to have a belt. got to have some kind of tight belt. And again, they kind of, you know, ride down a little bit. So I'm talking about, like, you know, probably getting some suspenders like what you run. But then like in the thighs that, you know, they're, you know, you know slightly snug in the thigh, which, you know, at first I thought it was going to be a big issue and I haven't had any issues with them like separating or anything. You know, you saw how mm-hmm. I climb a tree, you know, how flexible Jeez. I get. And like, I haven't had any issues with Doing them. some tree yoga. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right about that. They're they're tighter in the thigh, and that for me when I first got them, that was a real issue. Like I I did not like it because they were riding down so much, like enough to where your dang butt cracks can be showing if you bend over. So, uh, the way I fixed it, like you said, I just started running suspenders. I had some first light suspenders from when I had some first light pants, so I just put those on there and tightened them up, and then I didn't even use the belt really. The belt was just to, like hang my knife on. And I mean that fixed it. That pretty much alleviated the entire problem. Mm-hmm. And so after that, I, I started liking them a lot more because yeah. I did not like how low they rode because it's a pain in the butt just walking through the woods with your pants starting to ride down. But also, when it's cold outside, you're wanting to tuck your shirt in. It's a lot easier for your shirt to come untucked. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I would rather a pant fit like way higher up on your hips. Mm-hmm. You know. I mean, to me, like almost, almost to your belly button's fine because I'm trying to like insulate, and I want to, I want that seam to be like, 
tucked in really well. Yeah. Like I want my shirt to be tucked way into my pants because that just makes it harder for heat to escape. Yeah. Also, you know, I, I it wasn't my favorite piece of gear, but you know, it wasn't bad. It was that flex hoodie? I uh, really wish they had pockets, uh, like front pockets for you. Um, yeah. And also, I'm not a huge fan of like the liner inside. It's like a it's like a a light, very light fleece liner, um, but it's white. And I I'd never understand why any kind of hunting apparel would have any kind of white liner on it. Period. For two reasons: one, for you know dirtiness, because dude, like you you put that sucker down the dirt or mud or whatever, and it literally like will stain it. Uh, I wrapped up a back strap in it. Yeah, hell no. Got blood all over it. Nope. And uh, <laughs> also, just you know, kind of you know, just kind of me being just being a little safety safety cautious. Uh, you know, yeah. just having you know white like that. You know, if you're trying to throw it on your on your uh, you know on the, your bag the, or whatever, like rolling it up and putting it on your bag. Yeah. Yeah. So I was very cautious about always making sure that that was you know you know kind of kept up. That's yeah. yeah that's a, that's a solid point. I I like the hoodie for sure. I like that hoodie. Um, I wish, in hindsight, I wish I did not get the full zip. I wish I got the quarter zip because I'm used to wearing the Fanatic hoodie from Sitka, which is a, that's a phenomenal piece of gear. I really like that thing. And uh, in a stack up between the Flex hoodie and the, the Sitka hoodie, I definitely like the Sitka hoodie a lot. And I kept, I kept wearing that Sitka hoodie unless it was like high 40s, mid 50s, something like that. Then I'd run that Vadlands hoodie and that would be my outer layer. Um, but yeah, the the big drawback to that Badlands hoodie, the flex, is that there's no like pockets. There's no pocket in the front, yeah, you know, where you could put your hands in like a regular hoodie. Yeah, it's, so that was that was disappointing. Yeah, but. yeah. So um, yeah, and again, but you know, having that one thing that kind of, you know, you say it's worse than the, you know, it doesn't compare to the the uh, Fanatic hoodie, which is true, but it's also like a third of the. Fanatic hoodie's price. It's like a yeah. 70, that's true. It's like a seventy dollar hoodie versus like a hundred and ninety dollar hoodie or two hundred dollar hoodie. Um, yeah, that's that's extremely true. Yeah so, yeah. so you know, you're talking cost over you know efficiency. That it comes down. Now I'll tell you what. I started pairing it. I finally bought the Rise vest, which was freaking fantastic. Okay. Uh, very pretty much the same material they make the pants out, but it's in a vest form. Uh, great pockets. Uh, great fit and finish on it fantastic piece of laying material uh you could layer with it very very easily especially on these cooler mornings but it wasn't so cool like if it got down like in the upper 30s or 40s but it wasn't really windy i would literally wear this that, that vest over that um that uh flex hoodie and i'd be fine that's it it was fantastic dude i absolutely love that piece also got the uh, the wasatch uh puffy jacket which is really I say it's a puffy jacket. It's like a it's like a lightweight puffy jacket. Uh, one gripe I'd say about that it's a little tight fitting in the arms, but it's not it's not bad. It's just one of those things like you're not wearing it over a bunch of layers like you'd wear it more of a base layer of anything. But uh, it, it was really good as well. You know, really good pockets. Uh, you know, set up on that, and it was very very warm for how lightweight it was. Um, so overall, you know, very impressed, especially for the price, dude. I mean, we paid full price for everything. And I think I spent less than shoot. I don't know. I mean. Probably for all four pieces of gear, it was just over, say, 400 bucks. Like, if you try to buy the same setup, like if you're trying to go first light or sit or anything else, dude, I mean, you would be looking at six to $700 for, like, comparable pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hold on. That, I mean, with me, I uh, I got the when – I, when I got the Flex hoodie and the Rise pant, that's the only two pieces of Badland I have. 
Um, I think when I ordered those at the same time, it was like just over $200, which the Fanatic hoodie alone is $200, which is steep, man. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to like legitimately justify a $200 hoodie. Like it is extremely nice. It's a really nice piece of gear. There's no doubt. But man, I mean, that's a big chunk of change to be spending on one thing. It's not even a good outer layer for if it's windy outside. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're very true. I mean, it's one of those things you got to kind of figure out what's going to work best for you for both price and functionality of the, of the, you know, the equipment, whether it's clothing, bows, backpacks, whatever you're hunting with. Um, also, I was going to say that one other piece of gear that, you know, I was impressed with just functionality-wise, and I know it's kind of overkill. You know, we talked about this at ATA, and a lot of guys would never imagine using a backpack this big, but that Pentler uh bag and pack from mystery ranch has been fantastic um perfect size for me for carrying all my camera gear all my you know packing in the saddle platform climbing method with the sun approach steps uh you know extra gear clothing everything's fantastic and they also get a deer out it's great um other than that do you have anything else you wanted to hit on that was you know kind of a, a favorite for you uh i mean not exactly um, you know, we've, we've already spent a pretty good amount of time on past podcasts talking about uh, your Exodus broadheads. And then I, I killed a doe this year with those G5 Montex. Uh, I like the performance of those things. You know, it, it did good, and I'm going to continue shooting them. Um, other than that, I, I can't necessarily think of anything right off the top of my head. Um, well, I'll tell you one thing, actually. Um, I have a long knife. I, I really like the functionality of it. Uh, I've never had one up until this year because I was afraid of, like, breaking blades and, and stuff like that. Uh, and I got one. Really, really like how you always have a sharp knife. It's excellent for skinning and cutting up meat. It's, it's really, really good for, like, cleaning meat after the fact, like when you're cutting up steaks and, and like, trimming the silver skin and stuff off meat. It's awesome for that. Um, I The... What I was afraid of with breaking blades, that that is kind of an issue, but not enough of an issue where I'm going to quit using it. I still really like it. I've busted a few blades. I've popped them off. Now, I'll, I mean, it is what no, it is. No, it's because you've never used one before, and when you use that knife, because I did the same thing when I bought when I got mine last year, you have to use it in a different way. You're not, you cannot use it in a hacking method or any. You cannot use it in any kind of aggressive manner. Period. When you're using that knife. Uh, for popping yeah, sockets, right. anything like that, you don't. That's not the you know the, the intent of that blade. And I've done the same thing, especially if you're trying to like skin a deer or something, and you run that blade too far up underneath it, and you catch the skin up along where the blade attaches to the handle. And if you twist it, it'll pop it right off. And I've done that. I've done that yeah. a few times, especially like while gutting one. Um, so you got to be careful with that. Um, and again, the most time, the only time you're going to be breaking a blade is if you torque it. it. They're not meant to torque at all. It's literally, you know, the knife's so sharp, you're pretty much going to let the knife work by itself, and you're just putting just a little bit of pressure to let it work. Uh, if you ever get to the point where you're really having to press down on it, probably not a good situation. That's why, you know, it's nice to have, I normally carry a backup knife that's a little harder steel that I can use if I need to pry something. But uh, for the most part, dude, that knife is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. But you definitely do have to rethink the way you use a knife especially if you're used to having like you just a really heavy duty you know skinning gutting blade anything like that dude you just you gotta kind of rethink how you use it yeah and that's why it, it's perfect for when i'm carrying i got that 
uh, Damascus steel knife I use, which there's some pictures of it on our Instagram. It's like a custom knife. I think the company that makes it is like Gray Wolf Knives or something. I got it at a, at a gun show like a couple years ago, but I love that knife. It's either that or my K-Bar. I'll take the K-Bar and like do the dirty work with it. I'll you know chop the ribs off if I'm keeping the ribs. I'll uh, you know I'll, if I have to I'll bust a joint with it, but you can you can bust a joint pretty easy with those Havilon knives. Oh yeah. You just have to you have to do it you have to do it correctly. You can't just kind of hack at it. You know, feeling your way through yeah. there. Like if you if you know where to cut and you know what tendon to cut, it, you can pop a joint right off no yeah. problem. Where you know you bend the leg and you cut it way lower down than you'd think you'd ever cut it, which is where the joint is, and you open it up. And then you can like work the leg, and you can see that ligament in there that's moving when you're working the leg back and forth. And then you just you know put the tip of it in there, slice through that, and then you can just snap it. You know, like put it up against something and snap it right off. And then you know cut the skin on the other side, and you're you cut you know the bottom part of the leg off, and you're good. Yeah, to no, go. it's it's so easy. Uh, you know, when I see people like talking about like they gotta like cut the pelvis in half, I literally cringe. I'm like, what are you doing? And I'm like not trying to talk bad about anyone that does that because that's how I grew up. You know, if I was butchering a deer or something, processing a deer, you would cut the freaking pelvis in half and then separate from there. Dude, it's so easy to take a ham off, like off, off the, the, you know, take a ham off from the, the main body. Using a Havilon knife, man, you could be so quick and easy with it. And it's just this fine little, little cuts, man, and it just pops off. Like you said, I mean, you literally don't have to – there's no prying. There's nothing. You literally just run that knife up through there, man, and it just, like, pops off. Then you run it along the backside, and just the whole thing comes off. It's fantastic. Oh, yeah. I, I, I like doing that. You're, like, messing with the back leg, and you're, like, you know you're close, and you're cutting on it and everything. You're, like, where is that little ball joint? And then you kind of feel it, and you stick the knife and cut a little bit, and it just boop, yep. pops right yep. out. I love it. Yeah. Easy peasy. Yeah, and this year – uh, killed. I, I probably. I don't know. I'll, we'll see if I get if I go hunting again. I don't know if I will deer hunting wise. This depends on schedule and everything. But um, you know, I've killed four deer this year and definitely had a lot of practice. Uh, you know, working on it and you know helping my brother work on his deer as well. You know, with those knives and really kind of getting a system down for it and being pretty efficient and quick with it. But yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Uh, but I think we've talked enough about kind of some of the stuff we liked. Let's talk about some of the gear that we disliked or maybe you know, kind of let down. Maybe we uh, we thought it'd be a little more efficient or better than, you know, maybe what it turned out to be. I'll let you go first. Uh, you're going to have to come back to me. <laughs> I mean, one one um, product that I was kind of let down with is the Nocturnal Lighted Nox. Um, I don't know if it's – I don't know what the battery life is on them, but to me they are not that bright, dude. Uh, I shot – Four deer that. this year, all of them with lighted knocks, and I know th- two of those deer for sure were shot with brand new knocks, dude. And I had one of them turn off when it hit the deer. Uh, that was the first. Actually, I shot, the first deer I shot. I shot five deer this year. Didn't recover the first one. The lighted knock when I shot the first one, it turned off after I hit her. Um, the second deer I shot, which was like point blank, uh, it zipped through her and. It, turned to find out it was hanging out inside of her but i didn't find it until later that evening and it was very very dim and it had only probably been on for i don't know three or four hours maybe um and then the other deer i shot just like none of them were nearly as bright as i had thought previously they were 
Uh, I don't know what it was with them. I don't know if it's just, you know, the battery's kind of losing some juice after a little while. I had a couple of them that were still brand new from last year. Maybe that was kind of the factor in that I bought a couple more this year. Um, but just was kind of let down by kind of how dull they were. Definitely next year I'm looking to uh, go to, I think Nocturnal and both Luminoc have the strobe uh, feature on a couple of their uh, lighted knocks. I really want to use those just because that strobe feature to me is a little bit easier to find than just a straight light. Um, yeah, for but sure. But yeah, that was that was one gear that kind of was a letdown for me this year. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I was I was pretty happy with everything on the hunting side of things. On the filming side of things, which for any of you self-filmers out there, I got the uh, the Hawk. What is it? It's like the... Hawk makes a camera arm, and I do not like it at all. Not even a little. Get what you pay for. Uh, it's Yeah. I mean, it's cheap. It's it's affordable if you're trying to get into it. Uh, but, I mean, man, I just I wish I just got the daggum fourth arrow camera arm. Because that Hawk is... Extreme. The arm itself is extremely light, like it weighs nothing, and you know that that has its pros and cons. I'm I'm not really super concerned with you know how light it is. The fluid head on it that came with it, you know, cheap fluid head, it's fine, whatever. Uh, my gripe is mainly with the base. Um, first of all, the base is like this huge piece of metal, so it's it's pretty heavy. Which again, you know, with camera with camera equipment, you actually kind of want something that's kind of heavy, that has some weight to it, because if not, you're never ever gonna get like a steady shot, just because things wiggle around and all that kind of stuff. But you know, putting it around the trees, pain in the butt. You got the ratchet strap that's loud. The way that it it um, that it levels out doesn't really work on most trees because basically it's like a little four prong bracket where each corner of the thing has a little prong that goes on the tree and you got the little tube that you slide the camera arm down into and then you got uh like this this screw this pointed screw with a handle on it and when you get the thing on there if it's if it's cocked you know away from the tree you turn that screw and it, it'll level it out a little bit but the problem is if the bottom part of the mount which is where that screw is is tilted farther away from the tree than the top part there's nothing you can do so if you get like a bump in the tree especially with saddle hunting because i mean you, there's one place you can put it you know and it's on my right side and it's about where my where my um where my hip is because it's the perfect height where i can get up under the bridge and it's not too low and it's not my way if i'm trying to rest on the tree so if there's like a bump in the tree right there and i mean there's just nothing you can do about it it's just not going to be level and that sucks when you're trying to get around and film something because you you know put your camera somewhere and it swings back towards the tree and there's a bunch of movement you can't get the shot and it just makes life difficult and another thing is like i mentioned earlier where the where the camera arm actually slides down into the base the it's so snug that it's hard to get out and there's like a plastic insert in there that that the camera arm slides down into and that in that plastic insert is what holds it and eventually you know I there's some days where I just could not get the thing out of there and I'm pulling on it and I'm twisting it and it won't come out and then the whole freaking plastic insert came out and then I'd have to pull it off the camera arm and smack it down back inside of the base and it's just it's been a pain in the butt so this offseason I'm getting a fourth arrow for sure yeah so when it comes to camera gear guys you definitely get what you pay for for the most part 
every now and then you might find yourself a steal. Um, but especially on camera arms, it's definitely worth looking to invest in that just because you can always upgrade cameras and everything, but a, a solid camera arm is really going to help you out. Like, that's the thing about the fourth, which I have a very, I feel like I have a very large camera for most guys that are self-filming that are not doing this semi-professionally or professionally. Um, so my camera mic and everything weighs, I, I need to put it on the scale, but it's like three and a half pounds, uh, maybe a little bit heavier than that. Uh, the fourth arrow stiff arm to me is almost still not stiff enough in some situations where it's still not giving me a super, super, super steady shot. And one reason I can talk about that is that same hunt when we were in North Alabama, I was watching that footage today, and when those does came out and that little buck came out in that field we were hunting next to, dude, when I zoomed in, the whole freaking thing was shaking. Now, we were in a small tree, and that's one thing. If you're in a, <laughs> if you're in a tree that's you know, under 10, 12 inches in diameter, um, that tree's going to move a little bit. I mean, every little movement you do, it's going to be amplified on that camera, especially when you're zoomed in, and that just absolutely just kind of, you know, tore me up, especially when I was watching it today. I was like, man, that footage is absolutely garbage in my opinion now. Um, but it's just one of those things, you know, as long as you're not using a giant camera, man, you can, you know, th those fourth arrow stiff arms are fantastic. They're worth the money. Uh, I'm just looking at maybe another option in this off season might be going to the, uh, uh, out on the limb, uh, one of their, one of their arms they have, uh, that's actually lighter weight. It's actually lighter weight than the fourth arrow arm, but stiffer. Um, hopefully I'll be able to put my hands on one at NWTF again, but, uh, you know, it's pretty cool design. So we'll, we'll see how that turns out. Um, yeah. All right. So Hawk's Hawk, um, stick was, or the Hawk camera arm was on a, you know, not something you really enjoyed. Uh, something else. Let's see. What is something else I did not enjoy that much? Um, I'll tell you one that I like, but I wish I would have spent more money and it's probably what people don't want to hear, but it was my binos. So I bought those Vortex Diamondback eight by four. 8x32s, I believe. Yeah. Um, they're the little ones. Yes, and that's exactly what I wanted. I wanted a small, compact bino set. I, I used to run 12x50s, which is ridiculous. It's stupid. Well, yeah, I mean, like we were out there trying to spot squirrels, and, I mean, you could, like, count the hairs on them. I mean, it's just it's too powerful. No, no, but it's, it's so powerful, you get way too much movement in the binos. That's the thing. I don't need the power. I just need something that's a very clear, crisp image that does not give a whole lot of movement when you're freehanding them. Uh, anytime you get to me, to yeah. me, even 10 powers, you know, overkill in a lot of situations, unless you're sitting in a shooting house where you can stabilize yourself on the side of the shooting house, like that dude, it's, it's just too much. I think in a lot of situations, uh, to be honest, there's sometimes I wish I had six power just because I can see, you know, two, 300 yards with six, with some six power, you know, binos. But again, you have a lot less shake. So it's a lot more steady image is what you're looking at. Sometimes less is more in some situations, but Anyways, the yeah. Diamondbacks, I was very disappointed in their low light capability. Yes, it's a 32 uh, millimeter objective lens. I understand that, but still, I thought they would be better. Um, you know, it's just that was a. I mean, it, it's. I'm not gonna say it's bad, but my camera, the low light capability on my Canon XA11 is absolutely ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it's good. I mean, it's really good. I mean, good. it's on par with some of my really nice rifle scopes. Um, actually better than one of them, which is extremely surprising. And these binos just can't handle it. I mean, I had a buck at, uh, like 25 yards and it was, this was earlier this year. You know, it's that little buck I passed 
But I was just trying to look at, through him at the bottom of the 25 yards, and I could not see him. But I could see him through the camera, and I could see him through my rifle scope. So, lesson learned for me is I'd like to get a pair of at least the Vipers, if not a pair of the Vortex Razors in an in a 8-power. I think that would be, like, my go-to bino that would do everything I need. Um, you know, if I need to reach mm-hmm. out and look at something, you know, five, 600 yards, it'd be fine. And if I'm hunting in the timber, you know, bow hunting or something, it'd, it'd be a perfect set. But it's going to give me that low light capability that I'm really looking for uh, in a compact manner. That's the thing I'm looking for is a very compact bino. It's got very good low light capabilities, which is a lot to ask for. That's, you know, you know, the smaller you get those ejective lenses, less light's allowing through, and it's going to be a little more harder, a little more harder for the uh, system to work in low light. But, I think Vortex has an option for me, and uh, hopefully I'm going to try that in the off-season. So. Yeah. Yeah, uh, optics are something I need to upgrade, too. Uh, going forward, I'll tell you one thing, uh, two things that I'm going to start carrying with me more this turkey season is, first of all, have you ever heard of, uh, like, the honey stinger snack things? It's like a little yeah. honey, like, waffle-looking yeah, thing. thing. Yeah. Dude, those things are awesome. They're delicious. <laughs> And they're like they're they're like high energy, I guess yeah, you'd like say, like that. It's all sugar and carbs. Yeah, man, they're they're a great hunting snack. It's like because like, dude, don't get me wrong, I like I like eating my dang zebra cakes and my honey buns and everything, no. but they make me sleepy. No. They make they make me sleepy, especially in turkey season. Like I don't like no, eating something. Dude, that. I hate taking any snacks. Anything that can go with me that can get squished, I don't take it. That's I, yeah. I used to take sandwiches. I don't <laughs> take sandwiches anymore. It is straight granola bar protein bars. That is it. I am tired of mushed up freaking snacks and lunches. It's, it's, I'm done with it. Finish. Those, those little honey stinger things, they're flat and they pack real nice. So I'm going to slip like three or four or of them probably or and just 14 keep or 18 of them. <laughs> just keep them in my turkey vest and have them ready to rock. Another thing is like, you know, we use, like for me in the woods, I use Onyx Maps and Google uh, Google Maps a lot. I what I primarily use on X for is what everyone else uses it for property boundaries, but also use it for the uh, topography satellite. You know, map the hybrid map. That's extremely useful. But you know, every every phone has a GPS in it, and a phone GPS sucks. It's a piece of junk, and you're not cle- you're not connecting to very many satellites. And when we're in the woods, you get what's called a deflection error where, you know, it might be bouncing around from tree to tree trying to figure out where you are. And it either takes a really long time to figure out where you are or it just has no idea where you are. And it's just kind of bouncing around. So you've probably, if you use Onyx, you've probably noticed that where you might drop a pin and your pin ends up being, you know, there's some, there's some error in the map and your pin isn't exactly where you were standing, so it might be kind of difficult to find like exactly where you were, which that happened to me pretty bad last year. And that's not really Onyx's fault. That's just because phone GPSs suck. So I'm actually just going to start, uh, and another what I was going to say with that is the direction feature on Onyx where you can like see which way you're facing and on Google Earth or Google Maps does the same thing. Uh, it'll show you which way you're facing, but again, you get those deflection errors, and a lot of times it says you're facing one way and you're facing like the complete opposite direction. Like it's just wrong. So I'm going to start carrying um, like an azimuth style compass with me 
just kind of go old school with it just because it's going to make things go faster in the woods. Like when I'm navigating through somewhere and I need to know where something is, you know, you can, you can get the map and here's where Google Maps shines is that when you look at something on Google Maps, it caches that map for like 24 hours. So even if you don't have service, it'll still pull up that map and you don't have to go through and like download it and everything like you do on OnX. So it's super useful for that. So if I'm in the woods and I want to navigate down this creek valley and like go to this, you know, hidden cutover way off the road, um, I can get on, I can, you know, pull up my phone and I can see where I am, like my actual location, you know, even if there's a discrepancy in, in where it's saying I'm at, you know, by, you know, let's say 10 to 20 feet. If I can still tell, you know, the general area I'm at and the general area I want to go to, I can get that compass and an asthma style compass has this dial on it where it goes from zero on top all the way around to 360. So basically what you do is you, how do I put it? You turn that way towards the thing that you're wanting to go to and you set your, uh, you set your dial. So like, let's just say, like, okay, I see this feature is at 220 degrees. And so you can set your compass, you know, to whatever direction you want to go. And then you can use it as a point of reference to, like, find your way there mm-hmm. without having to keep looking at the map. So that's just something, you know, you can have it on your belt. I can have it on my turkey vest. I can flip that joker open. Or if you're in some, like, lowland stuff and some swamps, uh, swamps easy to get lost in. So... I mean, that's honestly something that's really nice to have. Yeah. I know a lot of us, like, younger generation guys don't carry a compass, but I'm going to start having one with me at all times. And if you're going to get one, um, the like, I mean, if you want to spend money on it and, like, you know, have a nice one, those, uh, uh, what, it's like, I forgot the brand, but it's like, it's a, it's like for foresters and surveyors and stuff like that. Uh, God, what's the brand? On, it's man. like 40. You use these it's like, every day. <laughs> it's like uh no i i don't remember what the brand is but it's got the mirror on it and everything and it's got you know a little magnifying glass on it it's got um it's, it's tactical it's got it, it's it's got it's got like a little measuring tape on it it's got map reading stuff on it where like if you do carry a paper map you know like one and twenty four thousandths paper map it's got a little scale on it where you can you measure distance on the map it's just a super useful little thing to have on you. So I'm going to carry one in turkey season and, and start getting used to relying on one of those more than I rely on my cell phone. Oh, speak about turkey season. And then and then I can also cut my phone off so it's not dying, you know, halfway through my hunt when I'm out there all day. Yep. No, well, speak of turkey season, dude. Uh, depending on what the next few weeks looks like, I may do a gun build for turkey season. Shotgun build. Oh, so I've, I've been looking at a couple different concepts for what I want to do, and I I think I don't know. I'm kind of set on it. I'm looking for a lightweight 20 gauge shotgun. Okay, shooting TSS through mm-hmm. it, and from what I found, you cannot get much lighter weight than an over and under. Okay, I want to get an over and under. There's a couple different ones I've been looking at. I'm trying to do this somewhat of a budget build. Uh, try to <laughs> keep it under like eight nine hundred dollars. Uh, for the whole thing, which I I have the site that I'm going to put on it. I just have to get a new base and everything. But I want to get a over and under, take it to a gunsmith. See, it's a project, but I ain't freaking working on the project. I'm paying someone to do it. Um, get an over and under. I want the barrel to be cut down to 20 inches. 
Okay. All right. And then fitted for whatever choke style I want. Have it rethreaded for my chokes. Um, doesn't I really don't care what choke. Uh, probably one of the more easily accessible chokes would probably be Benelli Beretta. Um, but what I want to do is get cut down to twenty inches, rethreaded for um, say like you know Benelli chokes, and then I want to be able to get the top of it tapped and set a base on the top of it to be able to run a red dot Trichicon RMR side on top. Uh, whole gun should be everything set up as I want it to be should be right at six pounds. Okay. Nice. Instead of having like a nine and a half pound 20 gauge I've been uh, 12 gauge I've been running with actually probably heavier than that. Um, I think it'd be fantastic. It's gonna be a great looking gun. And the cool thing is if I get the, the right shotgun I want, I'll be able, of course you can flip between top or, you know, top barrel, bottom barrel. So I'd like to have the top barrel with one choke. Okay, and the bottom barrel for another choke. So if you have something up close, you know, something within 20 yards, and you don't shoot a freaking pattern that's like, you know, the size of a grapefruit. Uh, and then have one for a little bit longer range. So that's kind of what I want to do. We'll see if I can get around to it. Man, look at Tyler Malone just blowing up our phones. Holy cow. <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's kind of that's the goal and kind of something I want to do. I think it'd be a sweet shooting gun, man, if I can get it dialed in. So Yeah, that'll be cool. I'm looking for the same thing because I'm trying to – Get rid of my old Hoyt bow, dude. I found you. Uh, I found you an over and under four ten that looks sweet. Yeah, I was trying to trade that thing. I was trying. It's a Hoyt factor. If anybody's out there wanting a bow, it's a Hoyt factor thirty, uh, twenty fourteen model. It's a seventy pound limbs, 28, 28 inch draw, and I'm selling it with a QAD rest. So it's good bow. I killed killed that doe with it at least. Um, it's a good bow. I like it. Um, Andrew will cut you a deal on but, it if you if you message him saying that you're a listener of the podcast and you follow us on Instagram. <laughs> if you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, I'll I'll ship it for free if you do that. I'll ship it. I'll pay shipping. But uh, I, I was either trying to sell it, which hope I'm hopefully I'm talking to a dude now who might buy it, and that bow will get turned into a new camera lens. But I'm also open to trading it for like what you just said, like a over under twenty gauge. I'm not necessarily going to cut it down and do all that. I'd want one that already has like you know threaded barrel for chokes and everything, and a 20 gauge or a 28 gauge. I don't quite want to do a 410. That's a little too small. Dude, you don't but, want to join the 410 nation for turkey hunters? <laughs> no, but yeah, I'd like a 20 gauge because I mean shooting TSS. I mean I'm not interested. Like with my gun, shooting tss like i'm not interested necessarily in shooting a turkey at like 75 yards because if you were uh, you'd be shooting a 10 gauge shooting at 95 yards oh god <laughs> i know people have killed turkeys at unspeakable distances with a 12 gauge shooting tss but anyways um yeah for the 20 gauge for me that sounds like what you just said is like perfect because you're still shooting a killing pattern out to like 40 yards and beyond. So like 40 is kind of my limit, but I mean, it can be hard to tell. I'm not range finding turkeys, you know? So if one, if I make a mistake and one's like 50 yards, uh, it'll still kill it for sure. It'll still kill it. But then, uh, you know, also at closer ranges, like you're talking about it, it's still is good. Yeah. You're hundred percent right. But dude, I might, I might take my range finder with me this year during turkey season. That'd be great. Uh, That'd be a great reason for me not to miss a turkey. 
So, <laughs> but hey, I knew I knew how far he was. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things. If you get set up, it's not hard to range three or four trees right when you sit right when you sit down real quick. Even if you got a bird right on top of you, man, you pop it out and at least shoot two trees. Like, all right, that's fifty five yards. If he's inside fifty five yards, kind of start counting trees, pine trees closer to you. Like, all right, yeah. I mean that with the uh, me and my cousin Nathan last year, we got him his first turkey, and this this bird was out in the middle of this green field gobbling his head off, and there's like a curve in the road. We were just behind that curve. And he gobbled like 200 times. It was ridiculous. He, he was gobbling so much. I'm going to find the video of this and repost it. But he was gobbling so much that like he was losing his voice, it sounded like. Like it was squeaky sounding because he was gobbling so much. And so this turkey, we were sitting there and we could see him. But we're like, crap, Like I have no idea how far away that turkey is. Because, you know, open field, eyes play tricks on you. And then, you know, we got confident enough. I handed him my gun. I was like, this will kill him. Like if he's if we're off by ten yards, it'll still kill him, and it ended up being like forty three yards, and I mean it rolled him like graveyard did. Mm-hmm. That was that was with a uh, long beard XR though. I'd already oh, shot really? up. Oh really? yeah, that was because uh, I'd already. Uh, let's see, uh, you get five apex shots to a box, and, and I patterned. I, mean... <laughs> I pat. <laughs> I patterned with one. I. I shot one on opening day and didn't kill it with one. I shot, I hit him low and knocked some feathers mm. off. And then I killed three, and then I was out of shells, so I was using those long beards because I wasn't going to spend all that money on Apex when I only had two turkey tags left. So I was using those long beard XRs, and yeah, Nathan killed that one at 43 yards. And then looking back, when you were hunting with me in South Alabama that one time, and we saw that turkey off in the woods... I went back and ranged it, and it was like 44 yards. You easily could have killed that South turkey. South Alabama? I mean, where the hell were we hunting in South Alabama? No, I mean, it wasn't like South Set. You know where I'm talking about. Oh, where, wait, um, wait, wait. Okay, hold on, hold on. It's where I killed that big turkey last year. All right, all right. Uh, oh, yeah. okay, yeah, I got you. Wait, wait, okay, yeah, no, I got you. I got you. Yeah, so that turkey, you could have easily killed that turkey. Well, I mean, you could have you could have killed him twice. I appreciate. Wait, how far was he again? He was forty-four yards, mm. and that and that was when I still had my last. Uh, I think I yeah, I still had two apex. <laughs> that's that's why I told you I didn't want to shoot him because I didn't want to miss. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to miss with one of my apex. Yeah, and it was funny because I went out. I had these apex TSS loads that are like for. I mean, dude, shoot long distance for close distance is way overkill. You could kill them with like freaking pheasant loads, which is how I killed my first handful of turkeys was just with pheasant loads, like two and three quarter inch pheasant loads. And after you didn't shoot that turkey, I took my daggum TSS out there and I shot a turkey like two days later in the afternoon at like eight yards. And then the very next morning at like seven o'clock, I shot another turkey. I shot another turkey at um, like 31 yards or something with that TSS. I was like, crap, man. I didn't even need to buy this stuff. I could have shot him with... Dagum, uh, Winchester, like number four shot or something. Yeah. This is one of those things kind of give you confidence. That's why I like it. Again, the whole factor of, you know, you know, within reasonable distance, you know, if you're off by eight, nine yards, it's it's not going to, as long as your gun's throwing a really good pattern, it's not going to make a difference. If he's at 35 yards yeah. or 45 yards, they don't, it's not going to make a difference if you're shooting a 20 or 12 gauge. Um, yeah. That turkey I shot at eight yards, I could have shot him with like, Rat shot, shot twenty-two rat shot. Anything and killed him. Yeah, I, and I hit him low. I hit him. I sh- basically shot him directly in the beard. 
because he was so close. I was afraid of like shooting. I was afraid of missing because he was so close. You're shooting such a tight pattern. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to aim a little bit lower than normal. And I hit like a little bit below where I was aiming. Mm. And yeah, blew that uh, dude, that turkey, like he just laid over. He didn't flop. He just, he just laid down. And uh, there, there was like daggum pieces of beard and feathers like strewn out behind him in a line going like 10 yards back. Mm. I was like, Jeez, man! I basically shot him with like a cannonball. I was ball. gonna say, did uh, did the pellets pass all the way through him, or were they still inside? Could you tell? <laughs> yeah, they they passed all the way through him. All right. Yeah, so that's the cool thing about those uh, the TSS is like, dude, the penetration factor is ridiculous. Even like you shoot number nines, dude. Number nines will go straight through a freaking turkey out to like forty five yards, dude. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah. Like you don't have to worry about biting shot. Like it's just not a factor. Um, yeah. All right. Cool. So, um, man, well, let's kind of wrap it up. I got to freaking leave for Nashville, like, in the morning at, like, like in five hours. So, <laughs> we're going to have to wrap this bad boy up, man, like a turkey in the oven. Yep. All right. <laughs> yeah, dude, every episode since, like, Christmas, we've been bleeding into the turkey hunting stuff. Like, we're chomping at the bit. But uh, there's still deer hunting to be talked about, and um, we'll we'll do that. We'll, we'll hit some pretty good deer stuff next week i think so anyways uh if you haven't subscribed already please subscribe uh share us with a buddy that's a huge help leave us a review if you'd like and uh check us out on youtube and on social media jacob anything else no just again make sure you subscribe to our youtube channel guys we're growing very fast with it we are enjoying the content that we're providing and we're enjoying the feedback we've been getting on a lot of our videos guys so, again, if you'd like some really cool content, maybe see some funny bloopers come up and kind of our thoughts on some stuff, uh, you know, make sure you check us out on YouTube. It's definitely something that we're going to be hitting hard with uh, come this spring and hopefully going to get quite a few turkeys to get, not to get, to die on camera for us. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, it's going yeah. to be fantastic. And then also, of course, we got NWTF coming up in about, what is it? Oh, man, fit two, two and a half weeks. So, yep. If you're going to be at NWTF, holler. Yeah. Holla. So, uh, yep. anyways, that, that'll be awesome, guys. Make sure you kind of come and hang out with us. We're going to be doing a bunch of filming, a bunch of interviews, and it's a bunch of uh, good stuff. Also, oh, by the way, we have a BHA, going to sh- do a little shout out for BHA. Got a BHA um, film festival in Atlanta on Tuesday, the 29th, literally like the day after this drops. Uh, if anyone wants to come, make sure you come to that. It's going to be a pretty cool event. Clay Newcomb from Bear Hunting Magazine uh, and the Bear Hunting Podcast will be there uh, showing off one of his films, which we actually saw at the Badlands Film Festival, along with a bunch of other people, so it'll be a fun time. Uh, also, we have the BHA storytelling event in Nashville on the – let me look at the date real quick. Hold on one second. It's going to be this Saturday during NWTF which the date for that is going to be the 16th. So February the 16th, we're going to have a storytelling event in Nashville for BHA. Hopefully it has some really good guys there uh, going to show up to uh, kind of present for that event. It was a really fun time we had last time uh, at that event. Had Kevin Murphy come down uh, along with, uh, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm about the, about the botch's name. Andrew, you're going to have to help me out. Uh, Gene, G- Gene Jensen. Jensen. There you go. Uh, from Fluke Master on YouTube. He came down for the event. It was absolutely a great time. And then uh, Nick Hoffman from Nick's Wild Ride uh, was down for that event. So hopefully we're going to have a really good lineup for that, guys. 
make sure you come down. We should be there as well. <laughs> and uh, other than that, guys, we appreciate you guys for tuning in, and hopefully Andrew will get a little more healthy over this next week. and won't be coughing up a storm coming yep, this next I'll episode. I'll try. All right, YouTube video dropping on the same day as this podcast. Watch it on your lunch break. Thanks, everyone. Y'all go ahead and write down the dates, June 28th through June the 30th. Go ahead and just mark those off your calendar so you can be at the Dalton Convention Center in Dalton, Georgia for the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard a a ton of content from that expo last year that we posted. Uh, We talked about it a ton. Look, if you're the kind of person that listens to this podcast, this show was literally made for you. It was literally designed for you, which means you're going to love it. You know, all the best companies in mobile hunting are going to be there. A lot of the best deer killers in the Southeast are going to be there. A lot of our past podcast guests are going to be there. It's just, it's going to be an incredible event. And hey, if you've been looking to either get into a saddle or maybe a mobile lock-on setup or just a different kind of tree stand setup, I'm telling you it's worth the investment to go to this show because they're all going to be there and you, you will get to try all of them in person before you buy it. So you don't have to order something online and then wait for it and then try it when it comes in to see if you really like it. You're going to get to go put your hands on everything all in one day, test it all out and figure out exactly what works best for you and have it taken care of before deer season starts. So like I said, go ahead and put it on your calendar, guys. It's a no brainer. You got to be at the show. Again, it's Friday, June 28th through Sunday, June 30th in Dalton, Georgia. We absolutely cannot wait to meet you guys there and talk hunting. So we'll see you at the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo in Dalton, Georgia.